0: Well, let me just begin by saying good morning again and welcome again, but now not only to those of you who are here in our traditional sanctuary, but good morning and welcome, especially now to those of you who are joining us in our contemporary service and also online and via broadcast. I'm really glad that you're here, and I'm really glad that we're all here together to learn from God's Word together and to grow together as followers of Jesus Christ. If you are new here this morning, let me just take a moment, or if you've missed one of the last couple weeks, let me just take a moment and and catch you up. We are in the third and final week of a short three-week series, a little journey we've been taking together, where we've been learning about the important role that money plays in our lives and about the role that money plays in our relationship with God. And we've been talking about it kind of in terms of a journey over these last three weeks. This series has been called Treasure Hunt, like we're going somewhere and looking for something. We began two weeks ago with location, the question of location, where are we starting? We talked then two weeks ago about how money is rarely just about money, how it's always tied to something more important and deeper in our lives. It's tied to our relationships, it's tied to our emotions, to our hopes, and maybe to our fears, and maybe to our dreams, and we began by just asking ourselves where are we what what does my use of money what does my relationship with money reveal about my priorities and what is the way that I'm using money how is it shaping what I value and what I prioritize so kind of where am I that was location the second week we talked about direction we talked specifically about the spirituality of money how is it that money decisions and our relationship with money is guided by God's holy spirit in our lives and so we talked especially about how The management of money in the life of a Christian isn't guided so much by a law as it is guided by the presence and spirit of God himself, and and it's oriented toward God's future. God is preparing us for the future. So we talked about location. We talked about direction. You need one more thing for a journey, and that's movement. And Today, we're going to talk about movement, but two different kinds of movement, actually. On the one hand, I want to talk to you about movement in our lives, movement of us. God is not done with any of us. He's helping us grow and go places, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But we're also going to fulfill a promise I made to you in the first week of this series, and that is to talk kind of openly with some transparency about how it is that money moves inside our church family. It's something we don't actually talk about on Sundays very much. We're usually prioritizing other things, but I think it's important once in a while for us as a church family to talk about what happens with our money as it goes into our offering baskets or offering plates or other mechanisms of giving, and then how does it get handled and spent, and what impact does it make in our church family? So I wanna share with you about that also this morning. But the first thing to kind of get prepared for that is I want to begin with some understanding of what the Bible teaches. It's kind of a basic model of what the Bible teaches about how a person gives to the work of the Lord in their church. Or in Old Testament times, it would have been to the temple in Jerusalem and then in Christian times to their local church. And so the basic biblical model for this, the basic biblical model for giving to one's church is the model of tithing. Now, that's kind of an old word, and some of you may not be familiar with that word. You can just translate the word tithing as tenthing. It means giving away a tenth, giving a tenth of my income to the work of God. And this was the original model, the standard model, universal all the way through the scriptures. I could grab a few passages out of the Old Testament that summarize this, but I think one is pretty clear, and I'll use that one here this morning. It's we've we actually read one of those already here in our traditional service, in addition to the reading we shared in both of our services. And now I want to give you one more. This is from the book of Leviticus, that's the uh, third book in the Old Testament, and this is almost the very end. And this this is what it says in the book of Leviticus, chapter 27, verse 30. A tithe of everything, again, you can just think a tenth of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, so you can tell this is written to kind of an agrarian agricultural society. A tenth of all those things belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. And then I'll skip verse 31 just for a time. Verse 32, every tithe of the herd and flock, so now we realize it's not just crops but also cattle, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. They gave one-tenth of their produce of their income to the Lord. Now, what did that mean in actual practicality? Because the Lord wasn't standing there in physical form with a basket to collect that in. What they actually did in practice was they took those gifts and they gave them to the Lord's service in the trust of the Levites. The Levites, and I won't go on too long about this or get too technical, but the Levites were a subgroup. They were a tribe among the larger people of God, of the Israelites. And the Levites were charged with the responsibility of taking care of the temple and leading the worship life of the Israelites. And so the Levites didn't get to own land. They didn't get to have property. They passed down from generation to generation like everybody else did where they could earn a living and make progress and provide for themselves and their family, but their responsibility was to provide for the worship life of Israel. So God provided for them by means of the rest of Israel, and they shared with them. And then if you read longer passages, you find out that the Levites themselves also tithed. They took one-tenth of what they got and they tithed it for the benefit of the priests who served all the rest of the worship life of Israel. The priests were just a a smaller group of Levites, and the Levites had general responsibility in the temple, and the priests had some specific responsibilities for the sacrificial system and for worship in the temple. It's remarkable to me, actually, how this model from 3,000 years ago or so is really still quite similar to the model that most healthy churches still practice today. All of us, but let me just exclude myself for a moment, all of us give our tithes and offerings, usually in the offering on Sunday, but also by some other means, and that supports our worship life and our common life together. But then those of us who are staff and pastors here at our church who serve our whole church family, our, our incomes come from our church budget, and then we ourselves also tithe. We pass that on just like the Levites did right back to the work of our church here in this place. Very similar model to what was happening then. That's the Old Testament story. In the New Testament, Jesus himself teaches this practice. He doesn't talk about it much. In fact, I've heard people say that Jesus never mentions tithing, but that's actually not true. He does, and it occurs in both the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew. And I want to just give you one example here. The one reason that Jesus didn't say much about it is because it wasn't controversial. It wasn't really something that needed to be dealt with. All of his faithful Israelite contemporaries would have participated in this practice. It was the standard practice of God's people. But one time, in a disagreement or a controversy with the Pharisees, Jesus mentioned this practice. And I'm gonna give you one verse, a review out of the passage that we read in both of our worship venues this morning. This is what Jesus said in Luke 11:42. 42. Woe to you, Pharisees, Okay, nothing that starts with woe is ever good news, all right? Jesus has a criticism of the Pharisees. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, so that was good, but you neglect justice and the love of God. And you should have practiced the latter, justice and the love of God, without leaving the former, the tithing, undone. Now, it might help to understand a little bit of first century context here. There was a debate that we actually still have kind of written records of different Jewish teachers in the first century who debated whether you were supposed to tithe even your herbs and spices, or just like the larger crops, the wheat and the grain and the fruit, the olives and the dates and all that. And the Pharisees had a conservative interpretation of this law, and they said, we got to make sure that we tithe everything. We don't want to be found to be disobeying God in this, so we're going to be careful and tithe even our mint and our rue, and some translations say dill and cumin and other small herbs. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, good on you, mate. That was right. You should do that. You shouldn't leave that undone. But You neglected the bigger things. You don't even care about justice. You're just fulfilling the letter of the law, but you don't care about a just society or caring for the vulnerable, which we know Jesus did and criticized them for elsewhere when they were hard-hearted toward those who were outcast or excluded from the community. And you should pursue the love of God. This isn't just about obeying some external principle, but about participating from the heart with joy in what God is doing. And so he had a criticism of where they were at a heart level, even while he affirmed this particular practice of theirs. This practice of giving to God a tenth of our income starts thousands of years ago and is taught in the Old Testament. Jesus himself affirmed it, almost certainly practiced it, and passed it down to us. And many Christians still continue to practice this act of tithing also in worship of God and in support of God's work. But I don't just want to talk about how the Bible teaches this but also share with you how it actually functions. What's the result of this practice in the life of our church family? So let me spend a few minutes honoring this promise and being a little bit more open and transparent, just that we don't usually have time for this on a Sunday morning, but I want to take this moment to talk together as a church family or to share with you how this works in our church. When you think about our church's financial life, how it is that money moves in our church family's finances, You can kind of think about it like any other household. We're just a bigger household of faith. And so money kind of moves in four ways. There's four categories. There's income. We all have income. Then spending. Then saving and sharing, although not necessarily in that order. Let me talk to you first about our church's income. Most of you see most of our income every week. It comes in the offering plate or the offering basket in both of our services, although many people give by other mechanisms also. About well, pushing 80 percent, 70 to 80 percent of our church's income comes in in the offering during a worship service on Sunday morning. There is also about 15 to 20 percent on any given uh, in any given week or month that comes in as online giving. Now, this is how we actually do it in our household. I've gone on our church website, and by the way, if you want to know how to do this, we put a diagram in our, church study, in our uh, study guide in the worship bulletin this morning, so you can do this yourself if you'd like. We go to our church website. I click on Give. We set up a recurring transaction, and on the 15th of every month, our tithe, our 10th, is given to the church that way. We also give other offerings sometimes, but that's kind of the main way for us right now actually just in the last couple weeks we have opened up a way of combining these two things the experience of giving during the offering and worship which is a holy experience with the simplicity of electronic giving because i don't know about you but a lot of us don't carry cash or checkbooks anymore and that can make giving in an offering difficult in your worship bulletin every week there is a thing called a connection card could you get that out if you have it it looks like this it says connection card on top and if you look at the back side in the middle we always print on there a little explanation of our offering. This is for all of us, but also especially for people who might be new here. What's the offering about and how do we do it? And it kind of explains that. And do you see this little black and white pattern down here, this little square? Some of you know this is called a QR code. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. But many of you have smartphones with QR code readers on them. I do. I know lots of people do. During the offering time, you can zap that QR code with your your phone, and you can participate in the offering along with the rest of our church family, but do it electronically if you'd like. It's an added convenience and a way of giving to the Lord in the ways that most of us manage our money. There are a lot of us who share together in this act. I know there are some nonprofits and some churches who are really carried by the very generous giving of just a small number of people. In our church, we have about 700 households, about, and that's a little bit more this year than it was last year, but in that range, about 700 households who give as a part of our offering, who provide the income that supports the work of our church. As you might expect, it's on a curve. Some of us give more than others. That's just realistic. Some of us have more than others, and we give proportionally to what we've received and based on a percentage. So that's going to be the case. There's a curve here, and many economists call this kind of curve as you get down, and then it goes on for a long time at smaller numbers. Economists sometimes call that the long tail, and they would tell us it's a fact of life. That's the way it's going to be. Twenty percent of people will give eighty percent of the income. Eighty percent will give twenty percent. There's some realism to that. I agree with that. But you know what? In the kingdom of God, lots of the accepted facts of life get rewritten. I think we could see that rewritten a little bit, and I think it'd be healthy for our church to see that curve just continue to get flatter and flatter as the long tail comes up also. This is kind of the income side of our church. I forgot to tell you that when we give our offerings in worship, by the way, they're always received then, during or after the service, depending on some schedules, by two people, usually two members of our church council, our elected leadership body here, or sometimes by one member of our church council and also by a guy you might know whose name is Jeff Montgomery. He works on our church staff in a role that's kind of like our chief financial officer. We just always make sure two people are handling those offerings, not because we don't trust any members of our church family, but because as one person said to me many years ago, it just helps keep an honest person honest. So we're going to remove temptation and provide helpful layers of safety and security around these gifts that you and I both sacrifice to make and that are holy to the Lord. That's kind of the income side of our church. On the, now we've got a few other sides. There's the spending, saving, and sharing. We spend in an average year, well this year anyway, our budget is, uh, we are budgeted to spend about $1.5 million, about a million and a half dollars in ministry this year. A fraction of that, about 15 to 20%, gets spent in what I would just call operational expenses. This is keeping the building running, paying the bills, printing bulletins, renting copiers, the stuff that really makes your adrenaline rush when I describe it to you, right? Not a lot of people get real excited about this kind of stuff. Not a lot of pastors get real excited about this kind of stuff. I'm one of those weirdos who looks at those and actually kind of gets excited about it. (laughs) But the reason for that is simply this. I just know how much ministry that enables, and it's a lot of great stuff. I kind of think about it like it functions in our individual households. I don't know how many of you just really fires your jets when you pay your utility bill. Do you get super excited about paying for the light and heat bill? Yeah, me neither. But you know what? I do really like the ability to turn on the stove and cook a meal and have friends and family over. And I really enjoy that we might have a Christmas tree up around Christmas time, And I really like being able to have a warm, safe place to sleep at night. And I know that taking care of the operational expenses in our family makes those things possible. And there's a connection there. Same thing here in our church family. We take care of this building and buy supplies that we need and print bulletins and pay the heat and light bill. And then we're able to gather for worship together on Sunday mornings in a place that's conducive to our gatherings. And we host Sunday school classes for our kids and teach them about Jesus and the eternal love of God for them. We house the homeless in this building. We host AA meetings here. We provide food for people in our neighborhood out of this building. We do thousands of other things that help us be and make disciples of Jesus here in this place. And that's enabled sometimes by operational expenses. And I think those two are holy to the Lord. That's about 15 to 20% of our expenses, not a huge fraction. The biggest fraction of our expenses as a congregation are spent on personnel costs. About 60 to 65% of all the money that we manage in a given year is spent on our staffing. Let me explain why it is that we do that. What's the role of staff in a church, pastors and staff? All of us are here together not only to do ministry but even more to equip our congregation for the works of ministry together. We're here to serve and strengthen our whole congregation, to represent and serve Jesus in this world. Let me give you just a little story from my own experience that just helps illustrate how I keep coming to terms with this. We did a series on Sunday mornings three or four years ago, and it was called The Sunday-Monday Gap. And it was meant to address that disconnect that some of us feel between what we learn, experience, and who we are on Sunday mornings and and how it is that we apply that or experience that in the rest of our lives. And right, It's one of our stated core values as a congregation that we practice 3165 Christianity. We not only go to church three hours a week, but we are the church the other 165 hours a week wherever we go. And so in this series, we talked especially about being disciples of Jesus in our workplaces, for those of you who have professions or jobs in some place that you go. In my community group on Sunday nights, we were using the study guide from our worship bulletin, reading the passages we'd learned from on Sunday morning, reviewing those topics. And I confess to them what I freely share with you also, and that is sometimes I get jealous of you guys. Sometimes in my heart I think, man, I wish I had the opportunity to serve God in practical ways in the world in the way that you do. I mean, you get to create stuff and you maybe, maybe you practice medicine, maybe you administer laws, maybe you teach children, maybe you keep the wheels of business running so that reliable commerce happens and people get the goods and services they need. All kinds of good stuff that I believe God cares desperately about for the proper functioning of his world. And sometimes I think, man, I'd love to be on the front lines with everybody else. Sometimes that means working shoulder to shoulder with people who don't know Jesus and hopefully I could be a light to the world like you are. I'd love to be on the front lines and also just engage in those things that God cares about And Like, I, I get it, by the way. I know it's not all ideal. I totally get it. But sometimes I'm thinking about that kind of front line stuff. And a guy in our community group, he said to me, it's like, he kind of had to coach me through this a little bit. He's like, you know, we're out there. We're making the widgets that we make. We know what that is. Maybe, and he said, maybe think about it this way. I'm your widget, <laughs> you know. We need pastors and staff who build up our church. You strengthen us. You care for us. And you help us for the frontline work that we get to do. And, you know, it kind of set me straight. He, he's right about that. That's what church staff are for. And in this way, we invest our biggest expense in our greatest asset, our people. Our church staff are here to strengthen you and care for you, equip you in soul, mind, and heart so that this whole body, this whole community of followers of Jesus Christ can be mobilized and unleashed for service to Jesus and witness to Jesus in this world. That's our biggest, the biggest fraction of our expenses We do a number of other things too. There's another 15 to 20% in any given year that we spend on various supplies, events, and programs that help us live out the mission that God gave us. So that's our income, it's our spending. As a congregation, you might be interested to know we also save, we try to be fiscally responsible, as a congregation, we're out of debt for the first time in decades. We paid off our mortgage about a half a year ago. That was real progress to be celebrated. And now we're also in a position to practice some other responsible fiscal practices. And That means saving for major expenses. Some we can foresee. Our roof is going to need help again in the future at some point. That's part of owning a building. Our parking lot. Well, you know, you park in our parking lot. (laughs) It could use some help. We know that's coming and other unforeseen things. We're saving to try to be responsible managers of the money that God has entrusted to our care. We also share. As a church family, we give just as our individuals, households and families also give. We try to practice what we preach. And so as a congregation, we have a commitment to being a tithing church. We wanna give away at least 10% of our income to bless other ministries that don't benefit our own members. We're not blessing ourselves. We're trying to bless other people. And by the grace of God, for a number of years now, we've been able to keep that number up around 15%, not even just 10%. And we use that money to bless and care for people, to be a witness to Jesus in our partnership in Haiti, in our Operation Home Partnership, in our Operation Neighborhood Ministries right here in our neighborhood, as well as a variety of some smaller ministries that are overseen by our church council and our church staff. We have income as a church, we spend as a church, we save as a church, and we give as a church. You know, in our savings, I just realized I forgot to tell you about one other thing that we do, and that is that our church has also an endowment fund. There's, uh, over the years, built up a fund that generates interest and income, and that interest and income, in the tune of twenty dollars or $30,000 a year, gets spent on important ministry expenses here in the life of our church. So far, that's been mostly facility-related expenses. We also have created endowments for education and mission spending recently also. And Many of you have given in the endowment fund, and if you'd like to know more about it, there is a brochure on the rack outside. I just want to make sure that you knew about that also. Now, some of you have spent the last 15 minutes really trying not to let your eyes glaze over as soon as I said budget, income, expense, finance, numbers. I understand. I get it. So that's the last thing I'm saying about that. But I want to go someplace else with this, and that's take it a level deeper. Because money's never about the money, right? We learned in week one of this series that money is always about something deeper. It's about people and about people in relationship. People in relationship with each other, and people in relationship with God. And about a half a year ago, right at the end of last year, just as we were closing our fiscal year, as a matter of fact, and I think that was no coincidence, a member of this congregation out of the blue sent me an email with a story from his own family. And he was thinking about the end of our year and saying, I just wanted to say thank you and celebrate the ministry and the impact that this church family has on my family. And that story, when I read it, really touched me. And I saved it, and I wanted to share it with you. So I I uh, called him up recently and asked him, would you be willing to record that story and share it with the rest of our church in worship? And so he did that. We've got a video, and I just want to share that story with you just briefly right now.
1: Every Sunday, my youngest son, Wyatt, announces his itinerary to the rest of our family. After working through a cartoon with crackers and juice, followed by a breakfast that almost always includes Cheerios, the excitement in his voice picks up when he lets us all know that we will be going to church where he will see his grandma and all of the wonderful stuffed animals that reside there. When Wyatt was two years old, he was diagnosed with autism. Among many challenges, autism can affect Wyatt's ability to communicate and interact with other people. He's a bright, beautiful boy, and we wouldn't change anything about him. But oftentimes, one of the things that families dealing with autism face is a feeling of isolation. For us, Balancing Wyatt's ability to regulate himself in public with the pressure of potentially creating a scene often leads us to defaulting simply to staying at home. But on Sundays, Wyatt, my wife Shannon, our older son Sullivan and I make the 20 minute trip from St. Paul to First Lutheran. When we walk through the door, Wyatt's itinerary begins to come to life. He is greeted by his grandma, says goodbye, grabs her hand, and they head off to the preschool rooms where all of the wonderful stuffed animals reside. Shannon and I drop Sullivan off at Sunday school where he has come to enjoy the daily Bible story, corresponding craft, an occasional treat. Then Shannon and I proceed to the contemporary service where we get the best hour of the week for our marriage and our family. I think we've been on three dates in the past eight months, oftentimes because managing Wyatt's autism hasn't always allowed it. So the hour that we get together in worship is more meaningful than words can describe. After worship, we picked Sullivan up and can find Wyatt and Grandma sitting at a table in the commons enjoying a cookie and lemonade. Then Wyatt always takes the opportunity to run around the open space as people are pouring out of worship navigating through a seat of people who all greet him with a smile, Shannon and I zigging and zagging behind him every step of the way. (laughs) By outward appearances, our Sunday morning experience at First Lutheran isn't necessarily all that remarkable, but to us, it's one of the greatest gifts that we receive. God's presence is a part of every element of our routine. And I think about that every time we give our tithes and offerings. Our gifts provide a warm, bright place where Shannon and I can fuel our marriage. They equip and support the Sunday school teachers that are giving Sullivan the building blocks for his journey of faith. They even purchase the stuffed animals that Wyatt runs to and hugs, along with the cookies that can be found on both of their faces with a smile. We give our gifts as a way to honor the gift that God has given to us. And I recognize that God's presence isn't necessarily confined to the happenings of a Sunday morning, but it certainly is magnified so there is no better return on our investment.
0: I praise God that we have the opportunity as a church family to be a blessing to one another and also a blessing to our world and care for one another and those who don't even know Christ yet. I want to finish today by offering you an invitation. I want to invite you to do something that our church leadership teams already do, a couple years ago, I worked together with our church staff and our church council to create a, a leadership team covenant. And in that covenant, it just sort of articulates the kind of life and ministry that we want to share together and the things that we graciously expect of one another. And there's a lot, there's a lot more to the covenant than this, but I brought along one line of the covenant for you. And it, it says this on the covenant. I put it on a slide. Can we put that slide up for everyone to see? That slide says, we share a commitment to a biblical lifestyle, including financial generosity, tithing or actively working toward it, sexual purity, wholesome and constructive speech, forgiveness, and other behaviors that demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. And then there are the places in the Bible where we get that lifestyle idea from. I want to invite you today into this practice of financial generosity, specifically into tithing or actively working toward it. A few times over the years, and I think it's been a couple years since the last time we did this, I've invited you, the whole congregation, anybody who would respond, into what we've called a three-month test me in this tithe challenge. There's only one act of obedience that I'm aware of that I can find in the Bible where God says, obey me in this and just test me, test me in this. But in the book of Malachi, the book of the prophet Malachi, God says, test me in this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see if I will not pour out blessing for you. And I think some of you who aren't tithers already, I know many of us aren't, but I bet that God is prompting you, some of us, in your heart throughout this series and maybe today to take this step of obedience to this biblical model of giving. But you're not exactly ready to say, I think I can do this for all the rest of the decades of my life at this point. That's just realistic. That's okay. I'd like to invite you to take the test me in this three-month tithe challenge and see if God pours out the joy and blessing in your life that He has for so many others. If you would like to try this, I invite you to put your name and your contact information on the other card that's in your worship bulletin this morning. It's right here. It says, test me on the, in this on the left side. And if you put your name and contact information there, nothing else, please. Don't write your income or what you would need to give or any numbers at all. Just your name and contact information. I'd love to make a covenant with you. While you take this step of faith, while you take this new step of obedience, I'd love to be able to pray for you during this time, to pray for you each day during this three-month challenge, because I know it'll be a time of tempting and testing for you in this leap of faith, and also to send you some communication over the course of this period, some regular communication to just equip and support you as you take this step of growth. So if you want to do that, put your name and contact information on there, and you can put that card in the offering plate or offering basket when that goes by in just a few minutes in our service. Now, I also just want to acknowledge there are others of you who are not tithers yet, and the idea of tithing sounds about as realistic as flying to Mars, right? (laughs) Ten percent of my income? Do you have three heads? Are you kidding me? I get it. I, I understand. I completely get it. So let me just ask you, where do you think God's leading you? What do you think the next step would be for your life? I don't think God's done with any of us, but I know that we can only grow from where we are. We can only take the next step that's the next one for us. And so if you feel like God is prompting you to a different next step, to another next step of growth in him, maybe you've never made a commitment to yourself, to God, to your church, to give to God's work at your church, or you want to take a step of growth. You can put your name and contact information on the other side of that card, on the right side of the card. Again, don't have to put any numbers down or anything like that. I would be honored to pray for you also, and I would love to be able to send you the same kinds of communication and equipping that would help our whole church family take our next steps of discipleship to Jesus in this particular area of our life. Now, if today's message has raised questions for you, if you are the kind of person who'd like to know more about some of the description I offered earlier in the message today, please know that our church staff, especially our business staff members, would be more than happy to be open with you and communicate more detail to you if you're the kind of person who likes that level of detail. In this series, we started talking about location, where are we? We've talked about direction, where is God leading us, and now it's time for movement. and We're committing ourselves to taking next steps of movement in this area of our lives, and I'd like to close this message today by praying for God's spirit to come and strengthen us for movement. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the blessings that we have and enjoy. We didn't create them all. We won't take them with us. All that we have, we have from you. And God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for giving us blessings for our enjoyment and for our needs. And God, I pray that you would lead each of us, lead all of us. Thank you for all that you've given to our church family. And I pray that you would lead us to grow in you in the ways that you're leading. Please help us to be lights and witnesses for you in this world and agents of service to you in your kingdom. We live and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.